Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Thank you, as always, for checking us out here on the GM Shuffle. AD and Michael Lombardi as we break down not only what it takes as far as football is concerned, but also creating a successful business. And this episode is a special one for us because you look at the years that Mike has spent in the front offices of the National Football League, and we have so much empathy for all those small businesses out there right now dealing with COVID-19. So in partnership with Dell, we're trying to put together a blueprint here over how to run a successful business and how it is an analogy with the National Football League. First and foremost, Mike, all those small businesses, I'm sure you see them in Ocean City. I see them here in North Jersey. It's heartbreaking wondering when these businesses are going to reopen, but we have great advice for all of them, right? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's heartbreaking to see, but I think ultimately, you know, the one thing I get asked all the time is what's the difference between sports and business? And there is no difference. They're both a business and the good teams in the NFL run their organization like a business. And I hope today that we can help some small business owners somewhere who's starting out a business or has to restart their business, kind of get going and get on good footing based on some of the principles that I've been blessed to learn in the National Football League. You've been around as we move forward. So let's start off first with the owner. We're going to break this up into different chunks. So there's the owner, the head coach, and the general manager, talent acquisition, and talent development. So we start first off with the owner, and these are the five key ingredients that Mike has laid out, and then we'll talk about them further in depth. These are the five key ingredients of being a successful owner in sports or business. Common sense, create stability, believe in people, pride of the company, and care more than anyone. Let's start at the top, Mike. What do you mean by common sense? You know, common sense sometimes isn't always as common. I I think owners or people that have a vision of a company, their vision is very common. They don't try to do everything. You know, it's like, have you ever driven down the road and seen a a Mexican and Italian restaurant combined? You know, that's never going to work, right? Like, that's just common sense. Like, you know, we've got Brazilian food and Thai food together. Like, you can close that restaurant in 30 days. Like, have common sense about your plan. Like, understand who you are what you are and what you want to become. That's critical. This is a hard part for owners. Like, just tell us what you want to be. Show us common sense and make common sense decisions. Create stability, I think, is a great one. And you know what I think of is the Pittsburgh Steelers immediately because you think of how rarely they change coaches in terms of personnel. They have a plan and they have a very stable approach when it comes to their leadership positions. Yeah, I think as an owner, you can't always yell fire. You've got to take your time. And I truly believe is hire slow, fire fast. Take your time to find the people that are perfect for your organization, which will then allow you to create stability, which will then allow you to build around them, not necessarily have to retrain. Remember, it's easier to train than retrain. So when you do that, when you build an organization, you want to create stability. You want to show people that you're going to allow them to move up through the ranks. You want to be able to say, hey, if you do a good job in this job, I'm going to give you more responsibility. Remember, the key to anything is if I give you responsibility and you do it well, I'll give you more. If you do it poorly, you won't get any more. And I think that's what an owner has to do. And that's how he creates stability. Believe in people. I think of Mark Cuban right away, Mike. See what you will about the Dallas Mavericks owner. If you ask anybody that works for the team, whether it's employees in the front office or those in concessions or you know any rank and file, you got to believe in people. As an owner, you got to make sure that you believe in them, and Cuban always does that with the Mavericks. 
No doubt. And I think you can't have the approach, well, I hired them so they're no good, you know, and, and then you start talking to everybody else that you're competing. This happens in the NFL all the time. Owners don't believe in their own people. They believe the people outside their organization. Believe in your people. Believe in what they're doing. And if they're not doing something that you don't think they're doing well, make give them an opportunity to improve in that area. Believe in them. That also helps you create stability. Pride of the company, there's one name I think of right away, and that's Jerry Jones. Say what you will about the Dallas Cowboys, Mike, but they have built up a special place in society. Love them or hate them. You think of the star, you think of the place that which they live. I mean, the stadium. Jerry Jones has a lot of pride in being the owner of the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, and I think this is because he's a mom-and-pop team. You know, whenever you have family businesses, family businesses have great pride. And I think if you operate your business like a family – and why is that? Okay, because when you own a family business and you're, you, it's you and your brother, let's say, or you and your son, Stephen, you can yell at each other. No one gets offended. No one gets upset because you love each other. You truly love one another. It's a family business. You may disagree. And pride in the company allows you to have disagreements, but you still believe that you love it and you spread the history of the company. And if you're just starting out as a small company, you know, why do you think Mark Zuckerberg, that you know, when you go in, pull into Facebook, I think the front of the sign is Facebook and the back of the sign is Netscape because he wants people to remember coming in, this is who they were, this is who we are. Going out, we never want to be Netscape. And I think you got to develop that pride in company. And I think it starts with having the ability to have conversations that are hard, but also rewarding the people and rewarding the history of the company. And this is the biggest one care more than anyone. When you're the owner, everything goes from the top down. So you've got to really be invested emotionally, physically on all levels. You got to care, right? You look at any successful winner, they want it more than anybody else. As an owner, you got to bleed for your business, literally. And you got to be the guy who wants to sweep the floors. You know, you got to be willing to do any job in the company. No job's too big. You know, you can't be on a high horse. You got to be willing to pitch in and you got to be willing to show that it hurts when something doesn't go well. And it's not somebody else's fault that we all share in the responsibility. You know, it's one thing you own the team, but you got to care more than anybody. And it's got to hurt you more than anybody. Now, that doesn't mean you react and start firing people. That just means you solve the problems because you care so much. I remember working at McDonald's and the big district manager came by and to your point, oh, I'll make some fries. I'll sweep the floor. I'll do whatever you guys want. I can fix the drink machine. And that goes a long way. When people see the person who is the leader rolling up their sleeves, that kind of template, that kind of emotion goes through everybody. No doubt. And it spreads. And it spreads. There's no job too big. You know, it's like, why do you make your bed in the morning? Because, you know, it's the most important. I don't make it. Millie does. But it's the most important thing to do. You know, and when she's not here, I do. You know, because I think you've got to show that you're willing to do whatever it takes to be the best that you can be showing your employees that you're willing to do it. That's where Belichick gains most. I mean, there's no job too small for Bill. Bill doesn't have somebody taking dictation. Nobody's booking Bill's appointments. Bill does his job. He's working his tail off because he cares more than anyone. I thought you were going to start to quote Paw Patrol there. No job is too big. No job is too small. The coronavirus has kept me from watching Paw Patrol with Dominic and Leo and Mikey and, and Dino. I haven't been able to watch anything with all those four. It's been hard, but, you know, we're going to get through this. Don't worry. Uh, no question about it. All right. So the owner, the key ingredients, common sense, create stability, believe in people, pride. 
by the company care more than anyone. Now we segue to the head coach and the general manager. And again, if you've got a small business, you know who that person is. Just like in football, this can apply to your small business. Who's the GM? Who's the head coach? And the first question is this, who do we intend to be? That comes from the owner. Sounds simple, right? Really simple. Like, what are we going to be? You know, let's just take a look at Chick-fil-A. This is who we are. We're going to serve chicken. We're going to put the secret sauce on that we tested. You know, we've got all these stores. We are going to make sure the customer service is the number one thing of Chick-fil-A and also how we make a consistent product. I mean, you've got to define who you are. You know, Danny Meyer in his great book that he wrote about the service industry, he owns Shake Shack. It's all about customer service. Like we are going to do everything we can to make the customer happy. Who do we want to be? You know, we have a steakhouse. We're going to be the best steakhouse, but we're going to have customer service. Whatever you are, but you can't be everything. You cannot be everything. You've got to really narrow it down because look at the greatest places. You know, we go to In-N-Out Burger in California. There's lines there. Why? Because they cut their own fries. They only make burgers, period. End of story. You can't go in there and get a chef salad, right? Do things that you really do well and do them all the time the same. To your point about Danny Meyer, when they asked me, you know, why did this burger work? There's so many burgers in the world. McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, you name it. You know, how did Shake Shack figure it out? And he said, you know, it's not just the secret sauce. It's all of it together. But one of the things was the bun. He said, so often you fight the bun. <laughs> it sounds funny, but he goes, you eat a Shake Shack burger, that bun is the perfect size to melt the burger. So all elements have to go together. Think about that the next time you bite into a Shake Shack burger. The bun is perfect. Right. And I mean, A. Trulet, the guy who discovered Chick-fil-A, the only reason he made a chicken sandwich is because at his restaurant, the poultry guy had a bunch of extra chickens that he couldn't get rid of. So the guy bought them. And so he said, all right, why not? I'll just make a chicken sandwich. Well, he started to make them. And he's like, no, nope, that's just not quite right. So he invented the secret sauce and he tested it through his employees. And it's that secret sauce that made the Chick-fil-A. It's what they do. And so because he had a relationship with his people, you know, he basically made lemonade out of lemons, you know, and he did it. And I think that's because you're in tune. You're getting it. You solve the problem. I mean, you know, when you look at Sarah Blakely, you know, she wanted to be able to wear something underneath her clothes that didn't show lines. She figured out the solution. All of a sudden it's spandex. Like when you're so tightly in wine into what you're doing and it's small, you find solutions. You see the non-obvious. Which takes us to the philosophy of the team. And I think of head coach and general manager, and I think of Bill Belichick. All those years, Mike, you spent winning Super Bowls with the Patriots. Philosophy of the team, it feels Belichickian in that everyone knows the Patriot way. No doubt. And I think this is really important for small business owners is write down who you want to be. Write down the philosophy of the company. This is not a mission statement. Put it in a paragraph. You become Robert Caro. You write the paragraph. And every morning you go into work, you read who you want to be. You read about who the philosophy of the team is. You read it to yourself. And then you act on that every single day. By doing that, everybody else will follow suit. You've got to know who you are. And when you know you've made it, it's simply this. When you're out somewhere and somebody says, well, that be the perfect guy for this company to hire. He fits you guys perfectly. Now you people know your philosophy. Which takes us to the four pillars of creating culture. And you and I have both been enraptured watching The Last Dance on ESPN, talking about the 1998 Chicago Bulls and Phil Jackson. I keep thinking about Phil Jackson because all these steps here which you've outlined, the four pillars of creating culture, command of attention, command of the message, command of self, 
and command of trust. The latter two specifically, I know you watched just as I did, episode four, when Phil Jackson's got all the players out there, you know, thinking of these Native American rituals and, and the idea of team before self. Maybe for some people, it sounds hokey singing Kumbaya, but that is critical, isn't it? The command of self and the command of trust. You trust your employees around you to get the job done. And part of that trust, too, is you being honest with them, right? Don't lie to them. If they come to you with a problem and, and you don't like their work, you got to tell them. If they come to you with a problem that you can't solve, you got to tell them. They trust you to be honest. Trust is important. You know, be truthful with what you say. You, you know, Jerry Krause wasn't trustful. They didn't trust him because he was never honest with them. He never gave a straight answer. You know, and his command of self was horrible because his ego was bigger than the team. So he never was in check. You know, and the players resented that. Jerry Krause never respected his position, the job he had, so the players never gave it respect. He was always searching for bigger things than his position. He could have gotten tremendous credit for finding Rodman, for finding Scottie Pippen. I mean, he did a remarkable job, but he didn't have command of self or trust. You know, and I think what you see with Phil, he's got all four. He's got a plan. He can communicate his plan. He can self-govern, and the players trust him. Those are critical components. And this one's important, definitely in small business, but also, of course, in sports, is how to teach slash develop the culture. It's one thing if I give you a bunch of jewels, but now you've got to polish them up. You've got to harness them. You've got to bring out the best in them. You've got to have great motivators around you. That's really what I think is key here in terms of teaching and developing. It's motivating and leading by example. Right. And the person in charge of the small business has to live the culture every day. It has to live the culture every day. We see it in the NFL, right? We see that after the draft, certain general managers are talking about, we have to throw the ball down the field, or we have to do this, or we have to do that. You know, that's not your job. Now you're out of your lane. You're not doing what you need to do. You're not developing. You're not adhering to the culture. You're speaking off. That's Kraus. That's what he did. But when you teach, when you stay within the culture and you adhere to the culture, that's the best way to teach the culture. And the employees who can impact the culture, they learn from you. They learn from you how to do that. And this last point here for head coach and GMs, how employees impact the culture, the name I think of right away is Drew Brees. Think about the relationship he and Sean Payton have had. They always appear to be in lockstep on the same page in terms of their offensive philosophy, in terms of what to do, in terms of acquiring assets. And look at Breeze and how he's impacted not only the New Orleans Saints, but the culture around him, the city at large. He, he is emblematic of that city. He's an ambassador for that city. He's literally impacted the culture, not only within his own team, but outside of it as well. No doubt. And he allows Taysom Hill to come on the field and doesn't say a word doesn't complain, doesn't mind it. It's for the good of the team. Bravo. That's the key there as far as the head coach GM is concerned. Who do we intend to be? Philosophy of the team, the four pillars of creating culture, how to teach slash develop the culture, and how employees impact the culture. All right, we got plenty more here in the special edition of the GM Shuffle. In terms of these small businesses dealing with COVID-19 and using these NFL analogies, coming up next, we're going to talk about two major areas, talent acquisition and talent development, how to get it right and where people go wrong. That's next on the GM Shuffle. All right, anytime you're on the golf course, you always hear the phrase, hit it long and hit it straight. Well, as somebody who's a novice to the game of golf, a new person, I wanted to make sure I had the best equipment possible. So... 
as a novice golfer, I went and hit up our friends over at PXG because they have an all-new driver called the Black Ops. I mean, my man Chris over in Henderson has hooked me up with a phenomenal driver that's built to my game. My new game that doesn't really do much of anything on the course, but it has what I need in terms of the club head speed and the kind of grip that I need to go out there and be the best to my ability. I mean, this is music to ears to any golfer, whether you're a novice like myself or if you've been playing the game for decades. The PXG Black Ops driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Op drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. That's just ridiculously high. So what you got to do, go check out the PXG Black Ops driver. You'll be as impressed with it as I am. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment at pxg.com slash gmshuffle and use code gmshuffle at checkout. That's pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle for free shipping on all equipment, pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle. So now we move to talent acquisition. This is a big one. All those years you spent in front offices looking at the draft. How do we trade for this guy? What do we do? What do we not do? So here's the first step. Must define each job, specific and detailed. This is perfect for the National Football League. I want a long snapper. It's a very clearly defined job. It's specific and detailed. I can pay this much money. He's going to fit in on the roster here and go from there. Same thing for small businesses, Mike. Not everybody is going to be the maitre d. Some people have a very defined job, but you have to figure out what that is, what that gig is for that person. No doubt. And you got to communicate that to them and you got to sit down with them and go over it. And here's how you're going to be evaluated in this job. And here's what we're looking for for you from that job. You are a piece of this giant machine that we're trying to build. And if you don't do your job well, then we can't really run well. We need this work. It's imperative that you do. And I've got to communicate it to you. And part of our culture is I'm counting on you to do your job, just like you're counting on me to do my job. You know what it is. People tend to walk around business offices. I, I really don't know what my job is. No, you do. And I think that leads into when you know what your job is as an evaluator, now I can scout inside out. I know exactly what I'm looking for, and I can go find it. The FBI never goes to the phone directory to look for serial killers. They have a profile. It's the same thing when small business, when you want to hire somebody. For example, look at Bill Parcells' coaching staff. They're all smart guys, high level of education, some military background. Same thing with us in Cleveland. We wanted Jesuit schools, some form of high-level education, people who could write really well, who could communicate really well, who are willing to be part of a team. Define what you want. Define what you want. Then search it. Scout outside in, inside out. Listen, we think about our favorite show, of course, The Sopranos. When Tony needed a little more muscle, when he needed a guy he could trust, where did he go? He went to Italy. He got Furio because he knew this guy is no holds barred. He's going to buy into the system. He's unfailingly loyal, and he's different than my guys. He's bringing a different message, but I think he's going to buy in. That's a great example of scouting from The Sopranos. No doubt. It's exactly the perfect example. He filled a need. He saw it. He recognized it when he was over there with Annalisa. He saw it immediately. He needed that guy. He didn't have it. It filled and he explained it to him. And, you know, everybody got jealous about it. But you know what happened through the course of the series? Everybody loved Furio because they knew what Furio's role was. Nobody got jealous because once Paulie, once Sally, once all those other guys, once Syl, they saw that they couldn't really do what he did. They didn't mind them anymore. They, all of a sudden, they weren't resentful. When people know what their jobs are, you can create unity. 
This one I think is critical, and I want you to elaborate on this one. For talent acquisition, elimination is more important than finding. What do you mean by that? Well, I think you have to eliminate what you don't want. You have to say, look, I don't want this type of person. I don't want, you know, a guy who's going to be all worried about, you know, getting recognition or whatever it is, whatever you don't like about certain teams. And we see it all the time, you know, like for me, you know, like I watch the 76ers, I complain about Embiid because I don't like all his celebrations. Now, obviously he's a great player and all that, but there's specific things you don't like about what you want in your organization. Don't hire it. Don't hire it. And again, remember, Hire slow, fire fast. So when you hire slow, you'll find out, you'll eliminate the people that have the things that you don't like. So therefore, six months from now, you don't have to fire them because you find out you don't like that stuff. (laughs) That's a great one. Hire slow, fire fast. And this one is critical. You must train the employees. You cannot retrain them. You got the great quote, Richard Branson, train people well enough so they can leave. Treat them well enough so they don't want to. That's indispensable. That's the greatest quote of all. And I hope Richard Branson and Virgin Atlantic and Virgin USA and Virgin Australia make it through this tremendous crisis that we're dealing with because he's just truly a great role model. Train people well enough so that they don't leave. Treat them well enough so that they don't want to. And I think that's so important. Don't make ambition so important. Make people love their work. Give them the why. Give them satisfaction in what they do. Because when we're building a team and we're all working together and we're we're running a pizza place up on the Ocean City Boardwalk, you know, the guy who makes the dough is, is just as important as the guy who tosses the dough and makes the sauce. You know, everybody has an important role and no one's bigger than the other one. That's a team environment. And that's when people feel really challenged. And most of the time, I mean, Wikipedia proves this to us more than anything. There was no better resource during the NFL draft than Wikipedia. And Wikipedia is free because people take great pride in their work of updating that. Meanwhile, Microsoft, one of the greatest companies of all time, tried to start an encyclopedia and they were going to charge people for it and they couldn't get it going. The pride of your work, the why, it's not always about money. It's about people having pride in their work. And when they get up in the morning, they feel a sense of, oh, man, I can't wait to take this world on. I can't wait to do the best job I can do at my job. Not everybody's sitting there saying, hey, I'm going to do a good job here. And two years from now, I think I'll be there. No, our company is going to be built on people that are in the moment that want to do the best job that they can possibly do. And if it's just, if we're in the garbage collection business, you know, by the way, Richie April, he, refunds are, are accepted. You'll send it back to you on the trash. If we're in the garbage, we're going to do the best job we can. We're not going to leave crap all over your street. We're going to do the best job we can. That's what people look at. That's what sells. I mean, look, you know, you own a restaurant, right? You know, people look at the bathrooms, whether they're clean or not, to tell you about the restaurant. We know this, right? So we're going to have the cleanest bathrooms of any restaurant. Yeah, I think you're right, because somebody goes, hang on, if the sanitation is lacking there, well, then I'm not going to trust the food, right? Obviously, if I got a filthy toilet, I probably got filthy food. And that whole point about must train employees cannot retrain, think of the NFL. Think of the great lineage or legacies, coaching trees, like Mike Holmgren. Think of all the assistants that worked under Mike Holmgren, right? It sounds like a joke, but you go, no, clearly, this guy trained the employees well, whether it's Andy Reid or John Gruden. You cannot retrain them. Once you teach them, they're going to learn that, and it's ingrained in them. Look at John Wooden. Like, great coaches pass along their lessons to those assistants forever no doubt and sometimes people leave just because you know what if i don't take this deal it's stupid for my family not to take it because it's so much money however that being said working with belichick being around great people like it really doesn't matter what your title is it matters only 
what the work you can do and the satisfaction you get from the work. All right. Now we move to the final one as far as the major groups are concerned, and that is talent development. Six different parts of this one. Let's go to the first one first, Mike. We must make players better. I could just imagine. I'm sure you had Al Davis stories of Al telling you, we got to make these players better. How do you do that? You know, he used to say all the time, treat the coaches like high school coaches because high school coaches had to make players better because there was no transfers coming in high school. There was no waiver wire in high school, you know? And so that was his analogy. Make them coach the players as if they're not getting anybody else. It'll make them better. We have to make people better. Just because we hired some kid from Georgetown, young girl, young guy from Georgetown, and think all of a sudden he or she can't get better. We got to make them better. We got to inspire them. We've got to be an inspiration to them. We've got to get them to step up their game, to move from an amateur to a professional. Understand that nobody's going to come in and do the work for them, that nobody's setting their alarm in the morning, that you've got a responsibility. You know, go back to the first scene of The Sopranos when Chrissy's in the car driving. Tony, I almost didn't come into work today. I didn't feel good. Well, did you call the guy down at sanitation? No, it was too early last night. It was too late when I got home. Well, did you call him this morning? Oh, I got up. I didn't feel good. Like, no, that's not what we want. You're not getting any better here. You're not getting better. You know, just because you're going to go kill the trash guy, that doesn't make us any better. Move from an amateur to a pro. Pros, you got to do it all on your own. Nobody's going to get you the breakfast in the morning. Nobody's going to wake you up. That's how we got to make people better. And this is a big one, too. The difference between good and great. There's a lot of successful businesses. There's a lot of NFL teams that put up a 10-6 and six season, but they don't go all the way. They can't actually capture the big prize. Something falls apart upon the line in talent development. How do you get these players, how do you get your employees to go from good to great? Because you make them realize that they're chasing something to never become satisfied. They're always trying to get better. You're always trying to get better. 62 years old, doesn't matter. I'm trying to get The coach is trying to get better. Everybody's trying to get better. There's no mantles for trophies. You know, we've got competitive stamina. You know, if we have a good quarter, we'll spend a day celebrating. But next, we're going to get better. we got to get better. And I think that's got to be the mentality. The difference between good and great is really our mindset. When we're satisfied, you know, they tell you, don't go to the supermarket hungry because you eat, right? Well, sometimes when you just get good enough, you get full. You don't want any more. It's that insatiable appetite to become great. That's what we want out of people. How can we get that? We get that from making people love their work, making people inspired to be in their work. They become great. Third example for talent development, false duality. Give us an example of that that we can all appreciate. Well, I think simply we saw it in the draft this weekend. You know, the Atlanta Falcons want to pick A.J. Terrell on the 16th pick. And if we do this, there's A or B, right? You know, there's never A or B to a solution. There's always C, D, E, and F. And so what I would say When somebody comes to you and says, we should either do this or that, you should tell them, go back and give me five more availabilities that I can make this decision. You got to reverse engineer it. False duality is the easy path. It's easy to say we should pick AJ Terrell. Well, nobody would trade with us. No, if you would dig harder, you would have probably found some way to do something. I think false duality sells short. We got to keep searching for answers as best we can. Let's keep it going then with the draft, Mike, and eliminating bias. 
Look at last year. Mike Mayak takes over the Raiders. And who's he drafting? Alabama and Clemson. Because the bias is, well, listen, those are premier schools. So to play for those schools, you have to be great. Rather than looking at the individual player, the individual system, you get biased towards the big schools, big names, et cetera. This is a huge one, not only for small businesses, but of course, NFL teams. How do you eliminate bias? A guy walks in the restaurant. Oh, I like this guy. I'd like to hire him. Oh, you know what? His dad is from the same block where I used to grow up. Okay, well, he's a good guy because he cheers to the same sports teams that I do. This is a hard one to do, but all businesses got to realize, get bias out of the way. You got to get bias out of the way. And just because another restaurant's doing something or another business is doing something doesn't mean you should do it. You should have original thoughts and you should eliminate bias. And the best way to eliminate bias is, is to ask yourself the question, why is this a good idea? Tell me five reasons why. Why is drafting two of the best thing we can do? You know, what could go wrong? Write it down. What could go right? And see if you could eliminate some of the bias. We all have bias within us. But remember, always remember, we never can begin with the end in mind. So whenever we're trying to make a decision for our businesses, we can't begin with the end in mind. We've got to take our time, eliminate bias, understand there is bias, keep asking questions. False duality allows us to not always settle for the easy answer. This is a great one. I know the example right away. We need loyalty, not devotion. Back to the last dance. Dennis Rodman goes to Phil Jackson says, I need a vacation. And Phil says, all right, what do you need? I need 48 hours in Vegas. As Michael Jordan laughingly recounts, it wasn't 48, it was 88. But the point is this. Rodman needed something, went to management. Management was willing to acquiesce because they knew that they were going to get a guy who was invested when he's there. Loyalty, not devotion. Very different. Very different things, right? I think the best example of this is with Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali had Bundy Brown. Bundy Brown was devoted to Muhammad Ali. Anything the champ did, Bundy Brown loved it. But what really sometimes Muhammad needed was somebody more loyal to him. Bundy was a devoted person. That was great. He need, you need some of those. But understand and teach your employees, we need loyalty. And loyalty is defined by honesty, not devotion. Don't tell me everything's going to be okay. Don't tell me everything's great. You know, I think it happened in the Atlanta draft room, frankly. I think they all said, oh, A.J. Terrell, he's the best player. They're all being devoted to the general manager and the head coach. Where if somebody stood up and said, hey, I think this is a really dumb idea. I think we should just take C.D. Lamb because he's the highest played player on the board. That's loyalty. And one more big one here for talent development. We give them a purpose. Think about somebody auto manufacturing, you're on the line, everybody has a purpose, okay? You can diminish them, demean them however you want, but someone's going to screw in those lug nuts. Somebody's going to replace those wipers. Everybody has a role, and you make them realize that every role is important, and that's the biggest thing. You look at any employee, Mike, they say, well, I really don't know what I'm supposed to do here. Like, I'm getting the job done, but I really don't feel valued. Give them a purpose. Absolutely. You got to give them a purpose, as Springsteen would say, as a reason to believe. And that purpose gives us a reason to believe. That's why we wake up in the morning. That's why sometimes in life when people retire and they say, well, I'm just going to go play golf. And after about a month of playing golf, they're bored because they don't have a purpose. You need a purpose in life. You need that. People, we all need that. You know, we need to get up in the morning and feel we're purposeful. We're helping somebody else. And when you give people a chance to be purposeful in their life, they'll reward you twofold. That brings me to this last point, which I think is important. 
managing distractions. All right. So right now you're listening to this, you're battling with COVID-19, you're a small business, you're waiting to get back at it again. But how do you manage distractions? I'll give you a couple from the sports world. A guy like Antonio Brown, he's super talented, the Pittsburgh Steelers, but he can't help himself on social media. He's posting videos, that becomes a problem. And now we look, he's not in the NFL. Terrell Owens of the Eagles, Mike, this was talent development. You got a guy, we're going to make him better. He's, you know, we're going to difference between good and great. He's going to take us to a different level, but he didn't feel valued. He didn't trust the culture. He didn't buy in. All of a sudden unravels. He starts pointing fingers at Donovan McNabb. How do you manage distractions? How do you make sure employees are all on the same page? That's the key here. It's really the key. And I think what you have to do is you're going to have some people, it's the law of three, simply this. You have three people in every organization, three groups of people in every organization that are broken down in this category. Group one, they'll do anything you want them to do. Group two, they're undecided. Group three, they're the Terrell Owens. They're the Antonio Browns. As a leader, if you start to pay attention to them and you start to placate to them and you try to win them over, you lose everybody in group two. So as you're a small business, if you happen to have one of these really talented people that are superstars and they become jerks, ignore them. Ignore them. Because what they are is narcissistic. They want attention. They want positive attention or negative attention. And the more attention they get, they draw people towards them. Narcissistic behavior you can't live with. You've got to ignore it. Now, you don't want to hire it, but sometimes some of the best players are narcissistic. So you got to deal with it. How you deal with it is ignore them. A great owner, powerful leadership, selfless workers, team over individual. It's easier said than done. But think about these mottos. Treat coaches like high school coaches. Hire slow, fire fast. And Richard Branson's train people well enough so they can leave. Treat them well enough so they don't want to. Clearly, Mike, you've lived a life within leadership, leadership positions. We had Sopranos references. We had Springsteen. I want one more from you. How about The Wire? How does The Wire and Omar and the way that those guys conducted business, how does that fit into what we're talking about? You know, it was a business. I mean, it was. Everybody was rank and file. Everybody had a job. Everybody reported up. They had a code. They had a code of conduct. If you didn't adhere to the code, if you broke the code, their penalties were severe, right? They trusted you to be honest. You had to be resourceful. And they lived it. They lived by their code. And their business was dirty, but they had an infrastructure within their company that was very, very tight. They knew who they were, they knew what they were, and they had leadership. And the leader did exactly what he had to do. He didn't mind, Marlowe didn't mind coming on that corner. In fact, he wanted his corners back because at the core, that's who he was. He loved his business. So I think we can learn a lot from watching The Wire. No question about it. Well, once again, everybody dealing with COVID-19, we wish them all the best. Stay home, stay safe. We really hope that not only once we return as a robust economy and a successful business, maybe some of those small businesses out there listen to this episode and take some of this advice. As always, you can tweet us. You know, one thing about us, we're very active in social media. So you can tweet Mike at M Lombardi NFL, Adnan Esferg. Mike, this was a lot of fun. We're going to have another episode of the GM Shuffle on Thursday, but I hope this was as fun for you as it was for all of us. Oh, I love it. Thank you, AD. 